Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I am here, of course, with my no ceilings and hashtag basketball colleague, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing? Nick, I'm great. Happy to be back on, as usual. Um, been doing a lot of work over at No Ceilings, both of us. Uh, really excited about the big board that went up today. Um, just and excited to uh, just talk with you for a little bit about basketball today. Wow, thank you for stealing the next segment of my intro. Yes, uh, we did, in fact, release our first No Ceilings big board earlier today. So definitely check that out when you get a chance. But before we get into that, we have a very special podcast today. We are once again covering your most recent Friday Screener article. And today we're covering maybe the most fun player in college basketball, if not number one, certainly way up there. And we're talking about probably the most fun part of his skill set, too. So this will be a fun one, obviously. Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. And today we're going to talk about your article covering his transition offense, which if you have not seen any of Jaden <laughs> Ivey's transition offense, I ask of you to go to YouTube or Twitter or whatever you can pull up while, of course, you are listening to this podcast and just watch some of Jaden Ivey flying down the court. But I don't mean to step too much on your toes, even though you stepped on my big board <laughs> intro. So thanks for that. But seriously, Jaden Ivey is so much fun. And you did a great piece on his transition offense, which is the most fun part of his game. So go for it. What's your favorite part of watching Jaden Ivey so far this year, just running things up in transition? And it's like you said, he's one of, if not the most fun players in the country to watch right now. And a big reason for that is his freak athleticism and it's not just vertical pop it's not just straight line speed it's change of pace it's stopping on a dime combined with that absurd straight line speed and vertical vertical pop he has deceleration to his game he's pretty strong not super strong but stronger at least than he was last year and all of that really gets highlighted when he's running in transition and that's when he's or when he's in the open floor, that's when we get to see that freak athleticism on full display. And he is so comfortable using it in so many different ways that young kids with that type of athleticism, I feel like we always see just barrel into charges and have those pass and crash charges or turn the ball over all the time. But I mean, he's going at a thousand miles per hour but knows exactly what he wants to do every step of the way and is processing what the defense is giving him and just taking the easy read or the, you know, the easy score, um, you know, and not all of it's easy, but it's just taking what the defense gives him. His ability to process that, make that right decision while moving at that absurd pace is just so much fun and just a really special skill. We don't, typically get to see from young college players yeah you mentioned that deceleration and i think that's really the key for me and why i spoiler alert mm -hmm. had him at number four on my big board that we just released i've seen this most with De'Aaron fox obviously you know having uh -huh. been forced by my fandom to watch a large <laughs> amount of king's basketball but there are so many point guards who struggle immensely with changing pace their first few years in the league that 
you know, they have that top gear, but if you're trying to go 160 miles an hour around a turn, it's not going to go too well for you. And it's incredibly impressive that already at his young age, Jaden Ivey is so good at mixing his speeds, you know, not just mm -hmm. going full fling in transition, which he does wonderfully, and it's always fun to watch, but having the presence to, and the understanding of the game to know not only how, but when to slow down, you know, when to take things back just a step and, you know, either reaccelerate from there or slow down the possession. You know, you mentioned the pass and crash charges, but the other thing that being able to change pace allows you to do is it makes it so much easier to find your teammates. And that I think was the biggest difference for me between watching young Darren Fox and watching young John Wall, who from mm. his first moments in the NBA was one of the best players in the league at dishing out to three point shooters. And that's an even bigger deal at the NBA level than it is at the college level. And when you're one of the very few people in the world who has the kind of top line speed that the John Walls and De'Aaron Foxes and Jaden Ivies of the world have, you know, that athleticism alone gives you a decently solid floor as a creator, but really to take the next step from there, you have to be able to mix your speeds up and Jaden Ivey's already shown quite a lot of that, especially this year, but already in his young college career. And those are the kind of skills that really allow you to take full advantage of your speed, you know, not just being able to sprint by people in transition, but also knowing and knowing how to use change of speeds when you can't quite just blaze past the entire opposing team. Exactly. And it's it's funny that you bring up or that you mentioned Darren Fox, because I, a lot of um, Ivy's kind of change of pace and change of direction, body control stuff reminds me a lot of Anthony Edwards, just without the absurd strength, because Anthony Edwards is a freak of nature. Anthony um, Edwards is built like a linebacker. Jaden Ivy's still yeah. built like a cornerback at this point. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not comparing the strengths because they're they're completely different, but that ability to be at a full sprint, just plant that right foot and essentially stop on a dime. And, you know, Euro step four feet back the other direction, it, it felt really similar. And having that change of pace ability is so important because it, it's, it's easy to defend guys when they go at one speed. Even if that speed is 100 miles an hour, you know what they're going at. It's easy to kind of steer them in one direction. Um, you just have to kind of get in their way. By having that ability to go from zero to 100 back down to 60 and then make an immediate right turn, defenders have no chance, especially these more unathletic ones. And when he gets a switch or catches a big attempting to retreat and transition, they have zero shot at really staying with him or really deterring him. Uh, I, one of the clips I used in the piece was against North Carolina and... Brady Manick was attempting to make a rotation and guard him. And he, he made a well-timed rotation, but Ivy planted his right foot about three feet outside the lane on the right side of the floor. And Euro stepped back and his left foot landed right in the middle of the lane. And he finished through contact for the N one foul. And it's just, you know, Manick was in the right spot at the right time, but he doesn't have that quick twitch ability that Ivy, who's in the top one, two, three percentile of athletes has. And just having that ability, that control gives him so many different options when it comes to scoring and manipulating defenses in the open floor. 
and you mentioned crashing into guys earlier. You know, that's going to be a lot of offensive fouls for most guys if they don't figure that out. But for Ivy to have figured it out this young is really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And if he just used that athleticism to simply score for himself, it would be incredibly impressive. But the fact that he has the awareness and the processing ability to, you know, read the defense and then create for his teammates around him who are running in transition and rewarding them for filling their lanes and getting to their spots, you know, shooters, big men who run the floor, they're going to absolutely adore playing with this kid in the NBA. And that's where I come back to the John Wall of it all. You know, it's not just the ability to create opportunities for himself because, you know, again, there are a lot, not a lot. I mean, he's, again, in the top one, two, three percent of athletes, as you said. But there are some players who can do that and sort of only generate offense for themselves. And that, that's one thing. But, you know, if you're generating 20 points for yourself and zero points for your teammates, you're not helping your offense as much as if you're getting 15 points for yourself, but also diming guys up in transition, hitting trailers for threes. And, you know, the other thing with Ivy's potential translation to the NBA is odds are just based on how these things work, he's going to have better shooters around him. He'll probably have a big man or two who can shoot trail threes and his ability to stop and pop, you know, allows him a lot more chances to create those looks for his teammates. And I don't know. It's one thing to watch him flying down the floor in transition. It's another thing to think about, okay, you know, now that he's got these multiple speeds to his game, so many more lanes open up. And at the NBA, the windows that might be a couple feet in college game are a couple inches. And, you know, the other thing sort of going back to the deceleration stuff, the person at the NBA level, and this I think actually makes sense with your Anthony Edwards comparison, but the person at the NBA level who has been the best at accelerating, decelerating in incredibly small windows is James Harden. Mm. And Harden has more of the Anthony Edwards body type, certainly, than yeah. Jaden Ivey does. But the thing about Harden is as he got more and more used to using his ability to manipulate speeds to create openings, that was when he really started to develop as a passer to the degree where, you know, he wasn't exact. he didn't seem like he was going to be leading the league in assists material when he was drafted, but he got there in Houston. And part of that was just that he was the entirety of their offense pretty much at all times. But ultimately, if you're, if you aren't able to sort of create those changes in speeds that creates those windows for those passes, there's a certain ceiling that you have. And obviously we don't believe in ceilings around here. And <laughs> Yeah, I had to. And, you know, Jaden Ivey, as a prospect, the evaluation looks so much different if he's not just a scoring guard, if he's, you know, more focused on being able to create those opportunities for the guys around him. And I, I think that's the really interesting thing about Ivey going forward is, is he actually a lead, a lead point guard or is he more of that off-ball scoring guard? I, I still tend to lean towards the off-ball scoring guard, but if he's able to provide the, the similar level of playmaking and ability to really attack rotations and with that playmaking ability, it's a really special and important skill to take an NBA offense from good to great because now you have another facilitator and another creator and another, you know, extremely impressive passer in the rotation. 
combined with that freak athleticism, it, it just completely changes the balance and the flow and the intensity of an offense. This year with Purdue, we're seeing Sasha Stefanovic, who really shouldn't, you know, in most scenarios, be this awesome college player, but he's this elite shooter who moves up really well off the ball and Ivy rewards him regularly. It's Ivy using his athleticism, using his passing ability and elevating his teammates to another level, which he frequently does in transition. And, you know, we, we always see these freak athletes, their highlight tapes in transition are incredible. They're the above the rim finishes, they're finishing through contact, but it's almost always scoring. Ivy certainly has those. I used a couple in my article, but what makes him better, what sets him apart, what makes his team better and takes his and elevates the play of his teammates is his eagerness and willingness to reward them when they run with him. And they know that if they fill their lanes, if they get to their spots, there's a really good chance that they're going to get the ball. And just that mentality, that chemistry of playing with guys and knowing that it's not wasted effort, that what that you're just running to burn calories, that you're just get out there getting cardio, it really just changes the dynamic of an offense. And that's why I keep going back to John Wall as well, because yeah. his unselfishness was such a huge part of his transition package. And I do want to go to a specific number that you brought up in the article that as of the time you wrote the piece, which was Friday, so if you find different numbers, they were definitely right at the time. But <laughs> of his possessions, more than 30% of them were in transition, and he was the ball handler for more than 70% of those. But... You know, that the most obvious statement I could possibly make. The flip side is that 30% of those were him dishing off to his teammates. And I'm willing to bet that at the next level, the number for his teammates is going to be even higher, you know, especially since A, he's going to be dealing with much better athletes at the rim at the NBA mm -hmm. level. But other thing is he's also just, again, by the nature of how these things work, going to have hopefully at least one other primary slash secondary ball handler around him at all times. You know, I think he's probably teams are probably going to look at him as a point guard for draft purposes, just yeah. because I think if you're going to take him in the top five, you're probably looking at him as your point guard, but you know, just having a secondary playmaker alongside him, you know, someone who he can kick out to in transition. And if that guy needs to reset the offense, then he can, but you know, I think that there's a lot more opportunity for Jaden Ivy to, be a transition passer at the next level than he's been at Purdue. And I think the most encouraging sign on that front is how willing he's been to be that facilitator rather than just looking for his own offense. And I, I really like how it doesn't matter if he's the one getting the steal or getting the rebound. He's always looking to leak out whether he has the ball or not. Um, when, you know, if he has a long contest, he's immediately leaking out, assuming the guy's going to miss and Travion Williams will hit him with, you know, a 50 foot dime. If Stefanovic grabs a rebound and pushes, Ivy's frequently overlapping on the wing, looking looking to catch and attack the rim. So it, it's not just he has to have the ball and he goes. It's, oh, we get to run. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's push the pace. Like, let, let's go get an easy one. And even when he runs without the ball, just that gravity, it's, you know, similar to half court offense, the gravity of great shooter 
attracts in like a half court offense when they run off screens. Ivy does a similar thing to defenses where he just draws them towards him when he's streaking up the wing. And that creates an opportunity for either the ball handler or someone else who's running with them. At the next level, I, I, I agree that teams will likely draft him, viewing him as a point guard. It wouldn't surprise me if we see kind of a similar-ish development curve or development path that Zach Levine had where it's, all right, let's get him all these on-ball reps. Let's see if he can be this point guard. And it's like, hmm, well, the, the playmaking and the creation has certainly improved, but it's not to the level of a, you know, quote-unquote point guard. And then once you bring in that more kind of game manager or another kind of on-ball initiator, that's when both their games elevate. That's when the whole offense elevates. I am fascinated to see how his situation plays out in the NBA because I think there are so many different paths that he could go down. And I, I struggle to see it ending poorly in any of them. But if he's playing alongside a bigger initiator or a more traditional point guard, I think that would do wonders for his game because he he is showing more of that off-ball willingness and how his secondary playmaking can really punish defenses. I'm really glad that you brought up his leaking out in transition because that I think is huge for this as well. It's one thing when your point guard slash primary initiator is running in transition only when they have the ball in their hands. But I mean, it does wonders for a team's pace. If there's just someone saying, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know, basically at all times. And, you know, those were, those were the best days of the Dave Yeager Kings when he completely changed his coaching philosophy and said, no, I have the Aaron Fox. We're going to run all the time. Right. And that, you know, it's one thing to only run when Russell Westbrook has the ball in his hands. It's another thing. If you're, point guard slash combo guard, primary initiator, whatever, however you want to refer to Jaden Ivey, you know, he's pushing the pace, not only when he has the ball in his hands, but also when he sees an opportunity to run the floor. And yeah, you mentioned just, you know, as an aside, Trevion Williams is having a really nice year. Yeah. He's been incredibly impressive and I, I had very low expectations coming in for him, but Oh my God, he's been really good. And you know, that, Going back to what we're here to actually talk about, you know, that also has been, as you mentioned, really helpful for Jaden Ivey to have someone who's giving him those hit head passes in transition. And I don't know, just spitballing here, but I mean, RIP to Killian Hayes, but just imagine Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham in the backcourt. God, I love that because that's, I Cade's obviously not the best athlete, so that that infusion of athleticism and energy combined with Cade's passing abilities, yeah, I I, I love that a lot, a lot, yeah, a you lot. Think, you think Cade would have fun throwing hit head passes to Jaden Ivey in transition? I do. I think yeah. Enjoy that. Yeah, I think he would have the time of his life doing that instead of sitting in the corner watching Killian Hayes dribble to his left every time. But that's not going great. Yeah, I said R.I.P. to Killian Hayes earlier. You just decided to put the nail in the coffin right there, so. Yeah, I'll just throw the dirt on the grave, too. Exactly. Appreciate the combo finish. (laughs) But I do want to talk about something else with Ivy, which has been the point that I've kind of been hammering with him before the season started and basically all year, which is I have never thought that he was a 26% three-point shooter like he was last year, Mm -hmm. You know, especially given that he was like near the 40s for most of his high school time and, you know, for 
U19 tournaments, he was not exactly non-existent from long range. And I don't know, I brought up John Wall a lot just because I think it's sort of instructive for the evaluation. And as you mentioned, Jaden Ivey is not nearly the sort of primary point guard type of passer that John Wall was even in his freshman year. But the flip side of that is, you know, if we're thinking about Jaden Ivey as a John Wall level non-shooter, that's one thing. But if he is like a mid to high 30s, three-point shooter rather than a mid to high 20s three-point shooter which is kind of always where I thought the evaluation was for him as you know not exactly a sharpshooter but definitely someone who can be capable from out there you know that I think also is really helpful for the transition stuff because if you have to be afraid of him as a shooter his ability to both go full speed but also you know do that change of pace and incorporate I don't know, more of a step back slash going beyond the three-point line look to his game, that does also change the evaluation if he's more than a non-shooter, which, again, I've kind of always thought that his shooting last year was an aberration, and if it continues to look like that, then the ceiling goes even higher. Yeah, his shooting is really interesting right now because I, I I agree with you. I, I think the, the 25% from last year was an aberration. I don't think he's that bad, but I, I'm... Also not sure I think he's as good as the 40% he's shooting now. Um, I the, the free throw percentage is almost identical. The three-point volume is almost identical. So I, I expect it to tail off some, but not not to the, you know, below 30%. I, I kind of expect him to be that 30 to 38% three-point shooter. And really, I think that's kind of all he has to be in the pros um, and even if he enters at that level, I think that gives him a great foundation of, you know, slowly building up and improving as he progresses. Because we, we see guys improve their shooting all the time now, where unless your mechanics are completely busted and you have and even to if like... they are, I mean, lots of ball, right? Yeah. Like I mean, they are completely it, busted, you can figure it out. Yeah. And like the, the he's not a shooter eval, his kind of become quickly outdated with how good these shooting coaches are and how just refining a few things on the edges has allowed guys to, you know, improve by five to six to 7%. The, my, my issues with Ivy's jumper are it's really slow and it's kind of a set set shot, but and he, when he has the time and he has the space, it, it's, he's excellent. Um, I, and that kind of reflect is reflected in his synergy numbers where he's in the 90th percentile shooting off the catch, but just the eighth percentile shooting off the dribble. So when, yeah, when like hearing single digit percentage, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. Um, but I, I think that's where his mechanics and the slowness of it kind of come into play as he ages. I mean, he, the sh- shooting off the catch is obviously, really impressive and and the the runner numbers aren't enough to kind of warrant a percentile ranking but it's currently 1.25 points per possession on his runners so and he has that touch and the free throw percentage is in like the mid 70s so it's not like oh this dude has no touch i think it's just refine a couple things in his mechanics really speed up that release because it is really slow it's more of a set shot and, you know, as he matures and his game matures and gets more coaching, I, I don't think it w- will be an issue long term. But having that base ability to shoot off the catch 
I think makes it even more enticing that he does need to be paired with another primary initiator or point guard or what, what whatever terminology you want to use for it, because he, he is proving that if his defender leaves him, he can punish them with an open knockdown three. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And that I think is the most important point for Ivy is that he just needs the shot to not be a weakness. And <laughs> last year it was, if you just looked at the numbers, it was projecting as a weakness. And yeah. we both agree that that was a bit overblown. And this year he's showing, you know, those catch and shoot numbers are a strength. I mean, that 90th percentile is really impressive. You know, I don't really need to belabor the point there, but as long as his shooting is something where defenses have to respect him mm-hmm. and they should at this point, you know, that's really what opens up the rest of his game is just having that respect from beyond the, three-point line and you know maybe he never reaches the point where he's someone who's going to be bombing off the dribble threes right but as long as he's solid enough as a catch and shoot guy and you know as long as he can even if he doesn't really improve all that much off the dribble as long as he's respected from long range when he doesn't have the ball in his hands that's the biggest thing for him and it certainly appears to be trending in that direction yeah and and that's kind of where i pivot back towards the anthony edwards you know, similarities because like Ivy, Ant is absolutely incredible at getting to the rim, but then that, you know, then defenses focus on shutting that off. So they go under screens, they help harder, you know, off of other guys. They, they dig at the ball a little more aggressively, but then once he does pull up and knocks down a a pull up three or two in a row, then defenders have to start going back over the screen and that just opens up the lane yet again for him to attack so if ivy can show a little bit more consistency and reliability of just being able to knock down a pull-up three when he comes off the comes off a screen um and the defender goes under i i think that will continue to do wonders for him because it will then just continue to open up that lane because he he's so good at getting to the rim, especially when he goes right. Uh, it's been a little underwhelming when he goes left, he kind of avoids it a lot. Um, but no, currently no one's really been able to stop him from getting to his right. Yeah. And until someone stops you, you know, there's no reason, reason to try anything else. Right. Exactly. But I don't know. I mean, the, flip side of the going around screens thing is I think that can be an area where some young guards tend to get a bit caught up in that Mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, get those off the dribble reps. You know, I think there are a lot of players who would benefit from saying, you know what, I'm really good as a catch and shoot guy. I'm not quite there off the dribble yet. Let's not jack up 10, 18 foot pull up jumpers a game. And you know, going back to the transition passing stuff, I think that Ivy has shown a lot of unselfishness to the point where it's easier to be less concerned, I suppose is the best way to put that, about his willingness to feed guys rather than just taking terrible shots off the bounce. But the flip side of that, of course, is that as we've brought up numerous times on this podcast, Zach Levine and Devin Booker spent two years jacking up a bunch of off the dribble shots and sort of being point guards, but not really. And it didn't always look great at the time, but after a couple of years of getting that practice in, I mean, they both became all-stars and other than his injury, there was probably a decent chance that both Levine and Devin Booker would compete for all NBA spots this year. So, you know, if Ivy can get to that kind of level, then I think he's going to be doing just fine. 
Yeah, and I and those those are the two. Whenever I think about Ivy, though, Booker and Levine are the two that I keep going back to because you know they they were their teams tried to make them point guards and they weren't. That's not who they were, but being forced into that role early gave them a lot of on-ball reps where they may not have gotten in other situations, which really forced them to expand their games and expand upon skills that they weren't really focusing on at the time. So in the short run, it was kind of a disaster because, you know, they're awesome teams now, but there were a lot of really tough seasons for both of them. But then once they get paired with that floor general, that initiator, that actual point guard, it just allows them to do so much more because that scoring repertoire is still there. They still have those that really great athleticism. And now they have awesome secondary playmaking skills and decision-making. So I'm assuming Ivy's going to get thrown into a spot where he's expected to be that lead point guard. And I would kind of expect... I maybe we get a John Morant type breakout where he's just a stud right away. Um, I would love that. I, I I think Ivy's capable of hitting that level eventually, but I would think it'd be a little more likely that we see him struggle a little bit more until that sec- either another secondary initiator or a primary initiator kind of joins him in that rotation. That's fascinating to me that Devin Booker and Zach Levine's are your comps for Ivy because you think of him as more of a combo guy. I think of him more as a pure point guard. So my comps for him that I keep going back to are John Wall and De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the John Wall one a lot. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, I haven't really thought of much just because I've always, I, I, I just view Ivy as probably a better shooter. And like the the Booker one is it's not so much as like a one for one like player comp, but like more of a role type or like situation type thing where before Chris Paul, um Brian Booker is playing a lot of point guard and it wasn't ideal. So I they're they're very different players. Booker's a much better shooter, Ivy's a much better athlete. Um, but like the I, I've seen Ja Moran thrown out a lot. I think Ja's a little bit more of a point guard but it falls a little more into like the kind of like that John, John wall uh, realm of player comp that, that you were mentioning. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just that he's got good enough playmaking chops that we both think he can run some of the offense. And it's just, yeah. do we think he should run all the offense versus do we think he should be more of a secondary guy? And I don't know. I think I have a little bit more confidence in his ability to be a primary point guard sooner rather than later. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, what you mentioned in the article, just how good he is at decelerating and creating opportunities for others in transition. You know, that's the kind of thing that some point guards don't develop until year three, year four, and he already has that, and it's going to be huge for his development. I, I think the big thing that's that could set him, or really determine that route, is what his pull-up shooting and shooting off the dribble ends up looking like in the long run. Because I, I just, I, I think it's really hard to have your primary guy run the offense and not be a, a legitimate threat to shoot off the dribble. Um, in the long run, I think Ivy gets there, but early I could just see it being a bit of a struggle. I, I think the passing's there, his ability to get downhill and create is really impressive. I'd like to see him do a little bit more interior passing in the half court, but I, I laid it out in the article too. His 
you know, driving dump offs in transition are really impressive because he gets right to the front of the rim, sucks the entire defense in, stops on a dime, and then just lays it off to his seven footer who's running in transition for an easy dunk. Um, so I'm not against the idea of him running an offense. I, I think he absolutely has the skills, the playmaking, the unselfishness, the the personality to do it. I just I think if the the pull up shooting doesn't progress a little bit if that release doesn't improve a little bit um i I think it could be a struggle but you know we we saw john morant hit the ground running and doing it impeccably from day one pretty much so it it, it'll be absolutely fascinating i think where he lands I, i don't think he's situation dependent but where he lands i think could be fascinating for the type of player he develops into yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it because I've talked numerous times on this podcast about, you know, checking boxes for a team and yeah. guys who can fill roles for a team. And I think with Ivy, if he ends up, you know, as I mentioned earlier, say on the Pistons besides Cade Cunningham, then I think he's probably going to focus a lot more on his off-ball shooting. I think he's going to focus a lot more on being a secondary guy, attacking when he gets the opportunity, but letting Cade run the offense you know, on the flip side, if he goes to a team that really is in need of a primary creator, I think he ends up with the ball in his hands a lot more. And yeah. maybe then he looks more like early career John Morant, early career John Wall, where, okay, he's got the ball in his hand all the time and he's just looking to create whatever opportunities he can for whoever it might be, you know, whether it be creating for himself, creating for others. And that unselfishness and that willingness to do that is a huge part of any guard's ability to fill that role and we've certainly seen that from ivy so far and just like when talking about team fit um and i i just pulled up tankathon and i you had him at four i believe i i had him at five i think so you know very really early lottery we're expecting him to go currently four through seven is okc houston san antonio and and indiana oh, um okc <laughs> him josh giddy lou dort good luck oof. That, that that that's a lot um and i i hate the fit in houston although maybe he'd be the point guard that kevin porter jr and jalen green actually need so maybe that would actually be that'd be an insane athletic backcourt um you know who else but, is on houston that we've talked about a lot in this podcast yeah exactly well <laughs> we'll, well we'll see how long he's there but yeah um yeah i, I maybe maybe that would be it and Steven, I think Steven Silas is a really smart basketball coach. I think he's been dealt a really tough hand um, with that team, but they would be, God, they would be fun in transition. Oh my God. They would be fun. God, not now. I kind of want him to go to Houston. Oh, this isn't good. <laughs> See, that's the thing though. Jaden Ivy is so fun that you just think about it for a few seconds. Like, Oh, he'd be so much fun there. Oh, he'd be exactly. so much fun there. <laughs> exactly. And that's like, Oh, San Antonio, like, mm, what, would he fit there? I'm just like, I, he's fun. I don't care where he goes. Tony I Parker kind of fit in San Antonio. Just <laughs> I could fit in San Antonio if Tony Parker can. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I've derailed this with my, with my fantasies and tankathon fever dreams. Yes, because we've never gone off the rails on a podcast before. Ever. Have we? Never. Not once. All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. I, I just... If you haven't checked out Jaden Ivey, first off, why? Um, he's he's He might be the best show in college basketball right now. Uh, Paolo is great. Chet's fun. 
Jaden Ivey is the most electric thing you'll see in college basketball. Uh, go over to No Ceilings, check out my article, check out Nick's sleeper articles on the on Kadari Richmond and Tayden Shannon. They've been awesome. Uh, go check out the big board on No Ceilings. We're doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, all of it is really good. The s- support and the reaction to this early season has been incredible. So it, it's been a lot of fun. I could not echo that more strongly. Definitely check out the No Ceilings big board. And we may or may not, by which I mean we will, have some <laughs> more content coming out related to that big board over the next couple of days. So please check that out as well. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his work, of course, on No Ceilings, uh, hashtag basketball, and at Canis Hoopis. You can find me on Twitter at N-D-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my work at No Ceilings and hashtag basketball. Thank you, Tyler, for the kind words about my sleeper deep dives. Those have been really fun and certainly something that I'm looking forward to keeping up with all season. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you've enjoyed the podcast or if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. Again, be on the lookout for those big board related articles coming over the next few days. And then Tyler will have another Friday screener on Friday. So be sure to check that out as well. And as always, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>